This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Twenty-nine other MLB clubs. Two-two pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back, gone. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pedro, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I was upset earlier today. There's this con job that the Astros keep on playing. Dusty Baker needs to move on. Well, that's that's tough for Dusty. Dusty needs to move on. And you know what? Dusty can big mouth right now because Dusty was not a part of it. But Dusty needs to stop. You know, if if people are asking him, hey, uh, people are booing you. You just got to give some gen- – you got to come up with a generic answer and move on. But he didn't. Do you have what Dusty Baker had to say about fans continuing to boo as they dealt with it in Oakland and they're dealing with it in Anaheim? You can tell the amount of hostility and the amount of hatred in the, in, in the stands. And, um, you know, how many in the, in, the, in the stands have never done nothing, anything wrong in their life? Or, you know, you know, we paid the price for it. How many people have not cheated, you know, on the test or, or, or whatever at some point in time? I mean, it's easy, you know, if you live in glass houses, but I don't think anybody lives in glass houses. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, sometimes we need to look at ourselves before we, uh, you know, spew hate on, on somebody else. Like I said, it's, uh, it's a sad, you know, situation for, you know, for America to me. You know, when you when you hear things, I mean, what are the kids supposed to think in the stands or, you know, and then and some of them are kids are following their parents. And uh, it's, uh, it's sad to me, like I said, it, you know, people make mistakes and, um, you know, we paid for ours and, uh, you know, we say leave it alone. That that that's so tone deaf. I'm a big Dusty Baker fan, but he needs he needs he needs to quiet up. You paid for it. You paid for it. How did you pay for it? No one got suspended. No one got fined. No one, nothing. No one, no one got their money taken away from them. They didn't lose their World Series rings. They didn't lose their World Series trophies. How, how, what? How did they get penalized? And then they squealed, and four people got fired. The manager, the general manager, the manager of the Red Sox, and the new manager of the Mets who never got to manage a game. Those are the only guys that got penalized. Not one player got penalized for anything. They didn't have to pay money. They didn't have to give anything back. They didn't even really have to say sorry. What is he talking about? You're not ignorant, Dusty. You're not a dumb guy. 
If you're trying to sell this, that is a joke. That is an absolute joke. And you know what? Have I made mistakes in my life? Yes. But have I made a mistake like that? You want to talk about conspiracy? You want to talk about, oh, you know, Dusty, I, in my horrible college career, I never went to Best Buy. I never bought a camera, put it out in center field, wired it all the way back to the dugout, set it up on a TV and a monitor, and we could record it and steal signs to win Major League Baseball games. I've never done anything like that. You think most people have done that, that kind of shady business? I'm sure if you really wanted to, you could find something illegal about what they did. Now, of course, they didn't because what baseball did was baseball said, hey, players, yeah, we'll take care of you. You just tell us what happened and nothing will happen to you. But I bet if you really wanted to investigate this cheating scandal and the spying scandal, and I don't know how Texas law works, and I'm not a lawyer or a law enforcement person, but I bet you could find something in there that's not legal about what they did. And you want to talk about worrying about that. What's the message you sent to the kids? What's the message that the Astros players, talking about cheating to win a championship, selling your soul to the devil, what did you teach kids? What did Major League Baseball teach these kids about cheating and getting away with it? There's so many levels to this that Dusty Baker trying to sell this, you should be booed every single game because you deserve it. America, Dusty, is showing you how they feel about you. Baseball fans in the United States of America are going to show you how they feel about cheating. Not, not stealing signs, not corking your bat, not scuffing the ball. We're talking about hardcore electronic sign stealing. You're going to feel how Americans think about this every single game. So you better suck it up. Because if you think that you've paid for it, Dusty, the only reason why you have a job in Major League Baseball is because of this scandal. How many people are saying, yeah, I want to go out and hire a 70-something manager? Who's saying that in baseball? Show me where they're saying, I want the old man in the uniform in the dugout. The only reason Dusty Baker got his job is because they knew everybody likes Dusty, so everybody's got to not be as hard. Everybody else is going with a young guy who's all about analytics, who understands analytics, who who's, who's in closer age to the players. No ba- How old is Dusty Baker? 70, I think 72 or 3. Yeah, who's looking for a 72-year-old manager? Dusty Baker, you only have your job because of this. You think they wanted to fire A.J. Hinch? They had to. 71, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because everybody's looking for a 71-year-old. When, when, whenever there's a manager's o- opening, everybody says, oh, yeah, let's go get – bring me as many 70-year-old managers as you can to interview. He has his job because of the scandal. Ah, just the whole thing to this day. You know, it's not like it's, – it, it's the same thing with the Patriots. This electronic video stealing is so bad – and we allow them to get what, – what was the Patriots? Oh, we're going to find them 500 grand and, and some draft picks. Well, they keep the Super Bowl ring. I mean, think about if you're the Rams. They literally taped your practice before the Super Bowl. 
Kurt Warner and the greatest show on turf, can they beat – they had to cheat to beat them. And they got their rings. That's the – it's just the whole thing. It, it just dry. You know what? If you would just own it, if they would just – once again, it's like the same thing, the difference between A-Rod now and Barry Bonds. If you just own it and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, shouldn't have done it, people will forgive you. People will forgive people who say sorry. But if all you do is try and run from it, hide from it, and act like it doesn't happen, we'll never let it go. I haven't seen one time anybody from the Houston Astros who's actually own it, like honestly really stepped up and said, you know, we've seen, we've seen guys like Dallas Keuchel, who's not on the team anymore, own it. But we haven't seen anybody in an Astro uniform who works for the Astros own this thing. And now they're acting like victims. They're the victims. These World Series trophies, these World Series rings are so precious. They're what we play for. They're what our game is all about. And now you're just sitting there acting like, oh, woe is me. I can't believe everybody's so mean to me. I mean, it, it, it's disgusting to hear a guy like Dusty Baker who's been in baseball that long, who's been through so much in his career, now acting like that. That's a joke. Well, I got something to say about it. And I respect Dusty, and you know, I, I don't know him personally or anything like that. But Dusty oversaw something. Let's not forget, he was a manager of uh, a certain player when he broke a certain record that sounded like this. So, no, Dusty's going to be the morality police on this. He watched Barry Bonds hit 71 home runs when, you know, he was never tested positive for it. I don't think he was the manager. No, he was the manager. I looked. I double-checked. In 2001, Dusty was the manager of the Giants because the next year they lost in the World Series. Remember, to the Angels. Oh, yeah. So, I don't want to hear about the morality police on this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, Dusty, you didn't know? I mean, that's the whole thing, too, about that. Bobby Cox going in, Joe Torre going in, Tony La Russa going in, Bud Seeley going in. You know how many steroid guys Tony La Russa managed? Joe Torre, Bobby Cox. I wonder how much I, – I, if we actually knew the real number of, of, of how long those guys managed and how many of their players were on steroids. I, I bet that number would be so enormous, it'd be mind-blowing. It'd be mind-blowing. All right, let's get Ned cut. Well, I was going to say, there's one other thing. Michael Wilbon from PTI. Here's what Michael Wilbon had to say on PTI earlier today on ESPN. I haven't paid Jack. It's been a minute and a half if we're talking about real history and not today's history, which lasts as long as the Instagram story. So I, I, I'm not buying that. They paid nothing. They get to get booed for 160. That's just a start. And by the way, Dusty's at fault for none of this. I realize it may annoy the hell out of him because he ain't guilty of any of it. But the four or five stars that are at the center of this, they get whatever is coming to them and they haven't paid squadouche to quote you. 
So we feel the same. Yeah, Michael Wilbon. Now, I agree with him about how it's not on Dusty, but still, I mean, to cry about it like this is a bit absurd. Joe, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Chris, I'm good. How are you? Well, you know, doing my scorebook and looking at the Dodgers, man, uh, and, and, you know, watching all the playoffs last year in the World Series, you guys just don't have a lot of talent on this team. No, it's a bummer, right? One of these days, maybe they'll get a guy that knows how to play. <laughs> I mean, I'm feeling this out going, oh, my God. Yeah, it's something, man. They, uh, We were just kind of going over the roster, or Hershiser and myself talking through casually about what we're going to talk about in the pregame show. And like, If you're trying to find something you don't like right now, maybe Matt Beatty and Edwin Rios haven't looked great, but they're the 12th and 13th position players on the roster. So that's not a big deal. You're not going to see a ton of them. Uh, it's, it's pretty incredible what they've put together. Well, I, you know, and, and I'm looking at Gavin Lux and Max Muncy are the only guys who have played in all four games. I think that just goes to show Dave Roberts, I mean, the luxury that he has with all the, all the depth. You can say, hey, Seager, take a day off. Mookie, take a day off. Cody, take a day off. Where a lot of teams really don't have that luxury, you guys have that luxury that at times, especially a tough place to play like Coors Field, you can get guys off their feet. Yeah, and I think it's especially important this year, right, coming off that 60-game season and ramping back up to 162. And there are, you know, you can look at it and say, well, what the heck, Mookie Betts and Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger, it's two days into the season. These guys don't need an off day yet. And I think they would agree with you. They don't need an off day yet. But Dave Roberts is playing the long view on it, and he can play the long view just because, like you said, there is so much depth, and, and you can afford to rest two star players like that and think that you still have a great chance to win. Well, and also, too, which I, I think a lot of fans don't understand, and probably the guy that really ushered this in a long time ago, Earl Weaver with the Orioles, was like, all right, in the first month, everybody's got to play. Everybody's got to get an opportunity. And then as you get a little bit deeper in the season, then you have more of a set lineup. I know with us and Bob Melvin, a lot of different guys have played. Speak to that. You just don't want to start a season and have a bunch of guys sitting on the bench and they don't get opportunities. Totally. Yeah. Dave Roberts talks about keeping guys relevant and you know, he's done that really well. And I think that the depth is at this point really good, but it's been really good for a few years. So this is something that's kind of become part of the culture where guys understand they're going to get days off because they can, and because there's not a huge drop off. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely part of what sets this Dodger team apart is their ability to do that. You know, the L.A. Times had a really good article talking about how tough it is to repeat in baseball, and especially in the National League, that we haven't seen it since the big red machine in the middle of the 70s. How much are people down in L.A. talking about that, that this could be the first team in a long, long time in the National League to bring home two straight championships? Yeah, I think that, it's, first of all, it's, that's crazy, right, that it's been that long and not just uh, has it has it been that long, but it's only happened three times total that a National League team has repeated. And we're talking ever. I think the thing this Dodger group has going for it, number one, they didn't have the full grind of 162-game season plus the postseason. They, they didn't have that. And a lot of times I think that's part of what drags teams down the following season. And the other thing is there's the motivation of wanting to do it in front of their fans and wanting to do it in a packed stadium and wanting to have a parade. They won a championship, but they didn't get to do any of those special things that come with it. You know, the, the things that for a lot of guys 
are some of the best memories of the whole thing. So the motivation to do it and be able to celebrate it appropriately is a prevalent one. And the other sneaky thing is the Padres being kind of the sexy name and the sexy team. I think that can kind of light a fire for them. And, you know, it'd be hard to coast into this year on their laurels from last year when you hear nothing about San Diego and what a threat they are. You know what? That is a great point. And you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of, as you guys have won eight in a row, the Braves won 14 in a row, and there was always a team that was coming up where there was like the Mets or there was somebody who would be able to, they'd be like, oh, this is the time that Atlanta gets taken down, and, and, and Atlanta always stood the challenge. I, You know, Joe, I think that's a great point. With everybody telling us how great the Padres are, you're like, Dodgers have won the division eight straight years. Slow down. Right. 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 Uh, that that said, I mean, I think the talk about the Padres is legitimate. I can't wait for those 19 matchups between the teams. I think it's going to be fantastic theater. And you mentioned not having a parade. That also reminds me of the uh, the Earthquake World Series in 1989, where, you know, when you talk to those guys, you know, it kind of, you know, they didn't get to have a parade. It, it was mm-hmm. it, it was tough to really have a big celebration with just the destruction of the earthquake here in the Bay Area. And, I see the Dodgers, Joe, is the same thing. You know, here you still have people with the struggle of COVID. You know, you don't get to have that celebration. It's, it's, it's a real minor celebration, and you feel bad. Yeah, and, and the guys talk, too, about, like, not even being able to celebrate it with themselves, really. Beyond that first night at the hotel, you know, having a, having a couple beers here and there, there was no, like, grand continuation of a, of a true celebration. Everybody kind of went their separate ways into the off season and you didn't have that victory lap. So yeah, they won it and nobody's taken away what, what it meant to win it. I don't think they're taking any of that away from themselves, certainly, but I think they want to be able to enjoy it appropriately. Bottom line. I know it's early and you know, bottom line. Uh, but is there really going to be anybody else in the West that gives it's, it's, it's Padres, it's Dodgers and the other three teams, they got no shot, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, right? I mean, who, who knows why we play the games? You could have a surprise team in there, but I don't think the Rockies, Diamondbacks, and Giants are very good, and I think that the Dodgers and the Padres are the two best teams in the National League. So I think that uh, there's going to be a little bit of eating their own there within the division. I think you're going to have quite a big gap between the top two and the bottom three. Could be wrong. Again, that, that's, that's why sports are wonderful, and – it's why they play the games, but on paper, it certainly sets up that way. You know, last night we're watching Shohei Otani do something that, you know, in our lives we've never seen anybody come close to do, where he's up on the mound throwing 100 miles an hour and he's bombing one out of the stadium. And, I, you know, Trout's the best player in the game. You can make a case that Mookie Betts is a top three player. Uh, you got Rendon. You got a Hall of Famer like Pujols. You got Machado. You got Fernando Tatis. Uh, Cody Bellinger is an MVP. Uh, it's amazing the amount of talent you guys got going in Southern California with the three teams. It's got to be real exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's not lost on us either, Chris. We the freeway series before the regular season. That's you know similar to the Giants and the A's getting together as the final tune-ups for the regular season. The Dodgers and the Angels always play a few games that final week before the season, so we get to see those guys each year before the regular season gets going, and then obviously the interleague games in the regular season. But we get so excited for those matchups just because of 
getting our chance to see Mike Trout. You guys get to see him 19 times a year, but those handful of times we get to see him and appreciate the greatness that is Mike Trout. And then the other pieces you mentioned, Anthony Rendon's one of the best players in baseball. Albert Pujols is not Albert Pujols anymore, but you're looking at one of the greatest hitters ever to play the game. And, and Otani now doing what hasn't been done since Babe Ruth did it for a few years in the teens. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's, it's a special time across baseball. And this is kind of the epicenter of it in Southern California. Yeah, you mentioned Trout. Yeah, it's it's a blessing to watch him play, and it's also a curse because it's like, oh, God, here we go again with this guy. I, I, I think to date he's got like 38 career home runs against us. It's, it's unbelievable. Wow. Wow. You know what? The Dodgers have done a good job against him, relatively speaking. Uh, you look at his, his slugging numbers, and I think even his average is relatively low against L.A., so – uh, my appreciation form isn't nearly as uh, mixed emotions than, than it sounds like A's fans probably have of him. Yeah, you talk about it, and it's like he's always coming up. It's like it's like every right. inning, he's like here. It it's like, like that. how do we get this guy out for God's sakes? Yeah, yeah. When you look at uh, baseball this year, what's the thing outside of Dodger baseball you're most excited about? I think Otani, seeing what he did last night and. You know, we've been talking about this for a few years now, his goal of doing what we saw him do last night, and it's finally coming to fruition. He's finally healthy enough, knock on wood, where he's going to give it a go, and it looks like it's the real deal. So I think that's awesome. I think the Padres story is an awesome one, and I'm so excited for those 19 games against the Dodgers to be able to see those firsthand. Yeah. Some, some star players in new places like Francisco Lindor in New York. I see him making his debut tonight. I don't know. I just uh, like you, Chris. I, I love baseball, and I could go on and on about the things that I'm excited about being able to see. I mean, how about just having fans in the stands and having the buzz of the crowd? Something as simple as that each night. I, I could not be more excited to, to have this season rolling. You know, you guys were set up for the All-Star game, and I know there's been construction done. Uh, Dodger Stadium, obviously, is a beautiful place. Is, is there a chance you guys end up getting the All-Star game after all? I don't think uh, that, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't have any secret info on that. What I've heard is that, no, they're going to keep the Dodgers uh, bumped back to next year and that it will be somewhere else. Well, we always appreciate your time. T tell your guy, Earl Hershiser, we want to have him on the show to talk about the 88 World Series. I will let him know that. I'll let him know. It's always good to talk to you guys, Chris. Yeah, have a good broadcast and enjoy the series and be safe. Thank you. Back to you guys. Do we have Ned Coletti with us? Yes, you do. How are you, Ned? I'm doing fine. How you been? Uh, we're 0-5, we're, we're Ned. We're not doing well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you might be on seven by 36 hours, too. Yeah, I mean, Ned, Ned, when you get out to a start like this, I mean, as like a general manager, I, I can't imagine like what David Forrest and Billy Bean are thinking right now. I mean, if they lose tonight, this is this is the worst start since 1916, the Philadelphia Athletics. W what do you think it's like for a front office? Well, it's not it's not easy, but you know, you do have this, and this is not this is not an excuse or nothing. You. You know, you've got six more months. You know, this is not the end of it. This will show you some weaknesses and show you some, some things you need to shore up. But it's, it's, it's truly not the, at the end of a season or like you're in dire straits. If your team is relatively healthy and you believe in the players you've got, 
you know what? It's a, it's a bad week, perhaps. But, you know, who knows? It's, you know, things can change in a minute in baseball. You know, the thing that I was talking about last night after the game is, and something that we've, we have seen for years now with this Dodger team winning the division eight straight years and winning the World Series, just the, the swagger this team has, the confidence this team has. And you don't see that a whole lot in, in especially bad teams, but just talk about what you see on a day-in and day-out day basis, the confidence that this Dodger team has. Well, it's, a, it's, it's always a business approach. Don't get me wrong. They have a lot of fun, and they, they love being around each other. But they go to work every day. They go to work every day with one thing in mind, figuring out how to win that day's game. Um, they're, they're really workmanlike in, in how they do it. Look at last night, for example. Um, they have Montas has got 90 pitch limit. They they say as the game as the game starts out, they get 20. They make them throw 25 pitches in the first inning. They don't have a rally. One one hitter reaches base. They have four guys hit. One of them reaches base, and it's 25 pitches to get three outs. And by the time he got the fourth out, he was at 43 pitches. That's what they do. They grind it out. They make you work. They work at, what, at their craft, and they make the opposition work. And if the opposition can't meet them pitch to pitch, they'll, they'll get after it. They'll, they'll beat them, and, and they've beaten a lot of teams. You know, they've, to, to have projections and to really feel that a team can win over 100 games, before I came to L.A., I was with one giant team that won 100 games, one, and really good teams. And my Cub days, zero teams ever won 100 games. But to, to year after year say, well, you know, this team has got a shot at 105, 110. I mean, that's, that's, an, that's crazy, really, when you think about it. But it's how they go about it. And they're not an old team. Most of the time, when you have a team that's won eight straight, they're starting to get a little bit of age to them. They're not an old team in any way. Their, their best players are, are probably between 23 and 26, 27. Well, and, and I think about Corey Seager, you know, he had the Tommy John surgery and there's always been talk about going to get a, you know, a different shortstop and, there, you know, Lindor or somebody. And then you look at what he did last year where he's the MVP of the NLCS. He's the MVP of the World Series. Now he's tied for the lead already in the National League in hits and RBIs. This kid has morphed into, we don't talk enough, as one of the best shortstop in all of baseball, I'm gonna I'm, I'm maybe a, I'm a little bit uh, uh, you know taken by watching him play and having drafted him. I think he's one of the best players in baseball. If you and it's tough to take different segments of, of a player's career out, but if you if you happen to do that and you just took out the year he was hurt, he didn't have one surgery. He had two surgeries. He had a congenital hip issue that they fixed, and then the Tommy John surgery. You know, at any stage of anybody's life, have two surgeries in one year, you know, that's not a fun thing. That takes a physical toll, emotional toll. If you took that out of the equation, this guy's one of the best players in baseball for a while. He was third, third in the MVP voting his rookie year when he was unanimous choice as the rookie of the year. And then you got, as you just said, LCS MVP, World Series MVP, comes into camp, rakes throughout the camp is off to this great start, goes to all fields, he's got power to all field, can take a walk, can drive the ball down the line for an extra base, can drive it in the gap for an extra base. 
understands the you know the shortstop play. Is he going to win a Gold Glove? Probably not. But does he know how to play the position? And does he have that clock that every good infielder's got to know what he's got to do and when he's got to do it? He's one of the best players in the game, I believe. And it's, there's a lot of reasons why. Plus, and this is this sometimes gets lost in it. He knows how to win. He's a winning player. There's a lot of great players that have got great numbers. Have they ever won? Do they ever win? Do they ever get to the postseason? Do they ever get to the World Series? Do they ever win a World Series? He knows how to win, too. Another big characteristic, I think, of a championship player at a championship game. You know, that is a great point because our game is, you know, such about the individual and such about the data and the numbers, you know, the old cliche, back of the baseball card. But, Ned, there just are some guys that they are more about winning games than they are their stats. The stats are just a part of it. But for them, it's about winning day in and day out. That's that's the same, and that, and that's who he is. And, that, and he's not the only one. They're loaded with it. And they've probably done something that, that I have not seen done until – I mean, I watch this team play every day. The last four or five years, besides really grinding out almost every at-bat, you'll rarely see them chase a pitch out of the strike zone. But what they also do is they are so welcoming to a young player. They give a young player every opportunity. They don't make them earn it. They make them work, and they, get, and they, gotta, they gotta pay attention to how things are done. But they, but they don't force the young player into anything that's like, you know, if this guy's not talking to me. This guy won't, you know, won't give me a chance. This guy, you know, it's, it's all real. When Max Muncy, obviously, you know, Max from the yeah. Oakland days. Okay. And he was in, in AAA for the Dodgers one year. It never came up. The next year he came up. And if you look at his first week or 10 days, and I haven't done this for a while, so I may be a little bit off, but I think I got it right. He really struggled offensively. A lot of teams, you got a 26, 27 year old player. You picked up uh, really, he was at home at, you know, going going back to Baylor, going back to school, and he didn't get to the big leagues the whole the whole first year as a Dodger in the in the organization. They gave him time and they were patient with him. And what they get? Thirty five home runs, thirty five home runs, big year last year, a lot of power. They're patient. Look at the kid last last night, Zach McKinstry, thirty third round pick from Central Michigan University, three RBIs last night inside the park homer the other day. Superstar player? Probably not. But if I was writing a scouting report on Zach, first two words I would write, baseball player. And they welcome, they welcome everybody. And you got May last night. Gonsolin's on the, on the IL right now, but another really good young pitcher. Uh, Julio, who we signed when I was still a GM uh, as a 16-year-old, and now he's 24, 25. Uh, you missed his start the other day. Uh, but, you know, another one. And he's a fourth starter. You know, if you saw last night's game, that's not a bad fifth starter you're running out there. Yeah. The fourth and the fifth guy would be at the top of most rotations. Yeah, your your fifth guy's throwing 100 miles an hour with sink. Yeah, yeah, with a great, with a better, you know, getting, and he has not even reached his peak yet. He's probably 60% to the, to the finished product. How many guys on this roster are left that you either drafted or signed? Oh, goodness, I don't know. Uh, Justin Turner I signed. Um, the drafts were Corey and Clayton was, was my first pick in, in 06. Uh, Kenley, I, I moved from being a catcher 
and he argues with me all the time. He would have been an all-star catcher. I said, not because of the bat, you know. And uh, I said, you'd have you're going to get to the big leagues as a catcher. There'll be 45 teams in the big leagues, but to turn into the all-time greatest LA closer. Um, Bellinger, Seager, Kenley was was here, but I moved from behind the plate to the mound. Uh, Kirsch, my first pick. Um, who else? Uh, Urias and, and Gonzalez, left-handed reliever. Uh, there's probably a few more, and a lot of guys where they acquire through trade, where they use use players that uh, you know I've been there during my tenure. But uh, you know they've done great, and they've done great. And when you look at who they trade when they get to July 31st, they'll trade some players, but th- but they're not trading anybody that is going to be a superstar some other place. So you they hang on to their guys. You you had to be proud when they won the World Series. I mean, obviously. You've meant a huge part to this roster and how this roster is made up. How proud were you when they won the World Series? Oh, very much so. You know, I've been in the game a long time. Been to the series with the Giants once, and then uh, three times here, uh, and and finally won. You know, my my kids told me it was the fourteen thousand one hundred seventy ninth day of my career. So I mean, it, meant, it means a lot, and to know the people, and to you know, to have good notes from. From a lot, you know, most of the guys I just just mentioned, and, and others who were around last year, uh, you know, JT sends me this beautiful note that you know, um, you might be thanking us for winning the World Series, but we all thank you for bringing us all together and, and putting the foundation in place. You know, that's great stuff. Again, I you know I'm, I've been blessed beyond measure in my life and my career, so I just uh, I celebrate when other people celebrate, and I get joy out of other people's celebrations. You know, some, uh, Joe Davis, broadcaster for your Dodgers, made a great point that, you know, when you win the World Series, it's obviously tough to repeat. I mean, we haven't seen a team repeat in the National League since the Big Red Machine. But maybe, just maybe, the Padres adding everything that they did in the offseason, one of the teams to win the offseason, and all the hype around the Padres – could that be something that keeps this Dodger team focused and hungry and that new rivalry between the Dodgers and the Padres? I, I think so. I think the, the rivalry will always be the Giants. But I think, you know, you got San Diego. They've been in the league a long time, obviously. When I was a GM and, and Kevin Towers, God bless him, was, was in San Diego, you know, a lot of competition there. I think that that helps a little bit. I think there's a, there's other things that, that probably play even a stronger role in, in the hunger aspect of it. One is just the composition of who the people are because they do want to win. They, they're not satisfied with this. Far from it. And, and when you look at last year and all the trials and tribulations that the world went through and sports went through and fans went through, you know, they didn't have a typical World Series celebration. They didn't have a parade. They didn't, you know, win any of the LCS or, or World Series games in Dodger Stadium. Uh, when they played here early in the postseason in LA, they, you know, there were no fans allowed. You know, so they they kind of missed out on 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 that feeling, that emotion. And I, you know, they've talked about it too. They say, you know what, we we need another one right right here right now because of a lot of reasons. First, it's it's what we play for, but secondly, you know, we didn't have a chance to do what other teams do. And and I think they're hungry for that, too. And Dave Roberts has done a great job. He's been really good at, at so many different things and managing personalities. You know, the managerial role is used to be 
from the first pitch to the last pitch. Now there's as much managing that goes on from the last pitch to the next first pitch uh, than anything, trying to keep everybody focused and to keep everybody hungry with what they're trying to do and uh, platooning players. And, you know, you'll see very few players that don't get days off. You know, the, the last two games in Colorado, you had Bellinger and Mookie off. You had Seager off. You had JT off. You had four guys off, two and two, Saturday and Sunday. Most, you know, and back in the day, those guys would say, what are you taking me out for? But he's managed the personalities, managed the expectation. He's averaged, if you, if you took last year and prorated it out to a regular 162-game season, this man has averaged 99 wins a season for five years. Wow. Think about that. Who does that? <laughs> the Who's Yan- Nobody's done that. The, the, the old, old, old Yankee teams that beat everybody up every single year? Yeah, maybe in the 20s, yeah, the <laughs> 27 Yankees and those guys. But not even, you know, maybe the, maybe the Yankees with Joe managing them at the, in the end of the last century, you know, in 98 to, to 201 or 202, I guess. But uh, it's interesting. It's, a, it's a, a very interesting group to watch all the time. Ned, you're the best. We always appreciate your time when you come here on A's Cast Live because we got not only A's fans, but we got a lot of baseball fans who who remember your days, your great days with the Giants. So thank you so much for your time. Be safe, and let's talk soon. Thank you. It's always an honor to talk to you, and I love the Bay Area. And uh, Billy Bean, I've known Billy a long time. I wish him and David all the best. Well, our next guest here on A's Cast Live is an absolute baseball legend. What a career he had. Uh, Former Oakland Athletics, starred with the Pirates, starred with the Reds, and has a new memoir out called Cobra. Dave Parker. Cobra, how are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. And I got to tell you, growing up as a kid, one of the coolest things uh, to see, like when you were in the on-deck circle, for the Oakland Athletics, and you were swinging that sledgehammer, you were like the most intimidating guy ever. Well, that's what it was all about, trying to be intimidating. Well, it definitely worked. And I can tell you also growing up in San Diego, when the Pirates came to town, your team in the 70s, you guys were like rock stars. What was that like, the We Are Family Pirates? Uh, it was great. We had some uh, characters on the team. Doc Ellis was uh, one of the guys that was known to uh, be uh, a little reckless. Uh, myself, Stargell, Bill Madlock. We had a host of uh, good players, and we didn't mind coming out, showing our wear. Well, no doubt about it. When you were writing this, what was it like going back and thinking about your life and, and, and as a kid and Frank Robinson helping you get into baseball and just bringing back all these great memories? Well, it, it, it's good to uh, look back over your, your career and remember some of the things you did with, with uh, various teams. Uh, Oakland A's had the best team I ever played for. They had everything. They had pitching, uh, relief pitching, speed in the front of the lineup, power in the middle. Uh, we were just uh, an awesome club. Well, and, and speaking of another rock star club, you know, you you talk about the great players, 
I mean, when you start talking about Hall of Famers and you got Ricky Henderson and you got Dennis Eckersley, you got Conseco, you got McGuire, you got Hindu. Uh, I mean, you, uh, Dave Stewart, just that experience of playing on that 1989 team and winning your second World Series. How great was that for you in your career? Oh, it, it was it was uh, super. You know, you had those guys you mentioned, you know, and you got Ricky Henderson leading off, Tony Minshew in second, Jose in third, me in fourth, McGuire in fifth, Henderson in sixth, Steinbach seventh, Tony Phillips eighth, and Walt Weiss ninth. I mean, that's an all-star team. So, you know, we uh, enjoyed going out showing baseball and what, what we were all about. Well, I, I'll tell you this. You know, there there's some of my friends who are giant fans who said, well, you know, because of the earthquake, I earthquake or no earthquake, that that giant team had no chance against you guys. No, they didn't. We uh, we wouldn't beat them hands down. They uh, didn't have half of the, the offensive attack that we had, and they didn't have the pitching. They didn't have anything that, that they could throw out there to, to give us a battle. Uh, we were definitely a, a much better ball club than them. You, you know, I, so many people remember you as a big power hitter. And what a lot of people forget is what a great hitter you were. You won two National League batting titles. Talk about how you, you had the combination of power and the ability to hit for average. Yes, uh, I did. I, I had uh, both things working for me. I was a five-two player, so uh, I, I uh, was one of those guys that could get an infield hit, hit a lot of doubles, uh, drove in a lot of runs. I was a complete player. You know, I never knew that growing up in Cincinnati, you actually wanted to play football for Ohio State. You would have been like one of the biggest running backs we've ever seen in, in college football. Well, I I could have held my own. I I would hit that O-hole right off the center's butt, bounce outside, and after that it was a foot race because I I could run too. <laughs> a lot a lot of people didn't realize uh, the speed that I had. Yeah, you would have been playing for Woody Hayes. That would have been nice. I met Woody at uh, the Knights of Columbus. Uh, a banquet, and I uh, had a chance to, to meet him and say hello. You know, for, for, for a kid that grew up in Cincinnati, what did it mean for you to play with the Cincinnati Reds? It was something that I always wanted to do. As a kid, you know, everybody wanted to be a Red. You know, you had Frank Robinson, Veda Pinson, uh, John Edwards, the catcher. Uh, we, uh, Everybody grew up with that dream of one day being a red. I'm glad I had the opportunity to live that dream. Yeah, and I remember, I mean, you had some great years with the Cincinnati Reds. And, you know, we, we talk about, you know, you mentioned you, you've left a, a part of your body uh, basically from Shea Stadium to Chavez Ravine and playing in the National League and playing in the American League. Uh, how many, those years on turf, how tough were they, they on you? They were, they were tough. I, I could have probably uh, played a couple more years anyway, uh, regardless if it was turf or not. I had 
about two more years in me. But uh, the turf was tough on you because uh, it was a slab of concrete with some chipped rubber uh, on top of the, the concrete. And uh, it was tough to, to slide, to catch fly balls. I used to burn burn holes through my pants when I slide to catch a ball. So uh, AstroTurf was uh, no joke and it cost you your body. Yeah, I, I, I feel for you guys who had to play on that and the football players who had to play on that. That was just, that, that, that was awful. What was it like for you to go into the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame? I think you went in with King Griffey uh, Sr. Yeah, that, that was a, a thrill. You know, to go in with uh, those two guys. And um, being in the Hall of Fame, look like ain't nobody going to give me my just do in Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, so that makes uh, the award that much better. Yeah, that's, you know, th- there is a group of you guys who played in your era, and I've had them on my show before, whether we're talking about a guy like Dale Murphy, uh, talk about a guy like Steve Garvey, talk about a guy like yourself. When you look at all the awards and all the all-star games, the MVP, I I, I, I feel for you because I, I believe you should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. You should have a plaque in that room. Eric David said I should have a house up there. <laughs> Yeah, he's a great player, too, Eric the Red. Um, You went on to coach and become a hitting coach. What was that like, taking your skills of everything you did in your career and then helping these young men get better at the major league level? Well, that was a thrill. I kind of picked and choose the guys that I I wanted to work with. Uh, Gary Sheffield was like a son. Eric Davis was like a son. Barry Larkin who gave me props on playing a role with him to get in the Hall of Fame. So uh, I enjoyed working with you, and uh, you didn't see it that much. From our, during our day, we used to take guys on the wing and deal with teaching them how to be a major leaguer and what it took to be a major leaguer. And uh, those were the guys that I paid most attention to. What was your relationship like with Roberto Clemente? Well, Roberto taught me how to reach back and get more velocity out of my throws. Uh, He taught me that in spring training of my first major league spring training. Uh, But uh, him just teaching me that one thing made my arm about 45 miles an hour faster. So uh, he was very instrumental in in me being the outfielder that I was. Yeah, he was uh, truly the great one. And uh, he taught me a lot in the short time I knew him because I only had that one spring, and I think he passed that that, uh, winter. So I didn't have time to spend a lot of time with him, but uh, what time I did benefited me a lot. And then I know you also had a very strong relationship with the Hall of Famer, Willie Stargell. Talk about your guys' relationship, and boy, did you guys win a lot of big games together. Yeah, Pop. 
Pop Pops was uh, very instrumental to me too. Uh, I just watch him walk around and the things that he do. He was teaching you as he was doing that how to be a major leaguer, and uh, really uh, played a major role in my success. Well, I got to tell you, I can't wait to read Cobra. A Life of Baseball and Brotherhood. I can tell you, Dave, as a big fan of you growing up, I promise I will promote this big time and help you out. It's an honor to have you on the program. A's fans here in Oakland and the Bay Area, they still love you. They still talk about you. Be well and be safe, and let's do this again later on. All right. Anytime you need me, don't hesitate to call. Ray Fossey, you were hilarious today. Why, Tony? Well, you could just—you could just tell you were—you were a little agitated with this losing streak, and Kite brought it up. And it's like, yeah, we all—I mean, basically, how you were feeling today, we're all feeling that. And it was just like—it was like we're tired of it. We're tired of bad baseball. Yeah. We're tired of watching long, long bad baseball is even worse than bad baseball. But you know what, Ray? I think today this win with how many guys contributed and how many guys kind of maybe got their mojo back. I think, don't you think this is the type of game that can propel you for the rest of the season? Against the Los Angeles Dodgers, I agree 100%, Tony. And, and you know, something that I did mention late, well, there, there are a couple of things. I've, I've always been a huge believer that in this case, in the top of the ninth inning, you don't want to give the Dodgers an extra run because Kenley Jensen, as long as he's closed, I still think he's the type of pitcher who could cough it up and at least tie the game. As it turned out, that's what happened. He walked a couple of batters. But if you think about it, going back to last night, why did he come in in a four-run game when it was not a safe situation? You had Blake Trinan on the mound, so he puts a runner on, and then all of a sudden, it's like Blake Snell last year in the World Series. Take him out and bring in Kenley Jansen. And when you have a day game after a night game, who knows how much that might have affected Kenley Jensen today, but the bottom line, the A's did not give them an extra run in the ninth inning. And, and to your point about Lou Trevino and just what, what guys did to shut them down, I think was important. And then the A's tied it and ended up winning. It just like Petit, the same thing. When Lux came up in the 10th inning in that time or the extra inning game, he tried to pull a pitch outside. When you're trying to advance a runner, you automatically think about pulling the ball. Well, if you're being pitched outside, why do it? Why not go to the opposite field? You know, you may not drive him in. You're going to get in the third. You're going to put yourself on base. But when he tried to pull the outside pitch, he gets the weak fly ball in center field. And then all of a sudden, that changes everything. So I think it was a well-played game by the athletics. And this was the first game in the first six. Now, in the first six games, the A's went in the ninth inning trailing, trailing twice. By four runs, the rest of them, forget it, 9-1, 9-2, even more. So today, because it was a one-run game, the A's were able to do that. Now, Tony, going back in the early 2000s when the A's were playing the Minnesota Twins, I love Eddie Gardado, everyday Eddie Gardado, but Gardado seemed to be the type of pitcher that if you kept him close, he was going to make it interesting in saving a game. He saved a lot of games, and he was outstanding. But I remember a game specifically, an elimination game, Billy Koch gave up a three-run home run to A.J. Pruszynski in the top of the ninth inning. Bottom of the ninth inning, and this is, you know, I think it made it a four-run game. In the bottom of the ninth inning, Mark Ellis hit a three-run home run. 
So bottom line, you're back to that one run and the twins ended up winning it. But if you don't give insurance runs in that top of the ninth inning or the bottom of the eighth inning, depending where you are, then you have a better chance to at least tie the game. The A's did that today. It was a great comfort behind victory. I think what the A's did, and you mentioned it in your post-game show, and we talked about it, the three runs the Dodgers score via the walk and the hit batter. They did not have a legitimate run. If you think about it, they were gift runs. And the A's with Matt Chapman hitting the home run, making a one-run game, and then Chappie leading off the ninth inning with a base hit, ultimately getting it over. Ramon Laureano, the, the Ricky run, I happened to see Ricky after the game. I say, hey, Ricky, did you see, you see Laureano? It's like a Ricky run. He laughed, you know. But it was, it was true. It was true because – and see, I said, Tommy, also, why don't more guys do what – he's at second base. They're basically giving him third. And as it turned out, Turner stayed at shortstop. Uh, Laureano able to get down the line, and he scores on the really the close or the, the short wild pitch. Smith did his job, but because Laureano's at third with a big lead, he's able to score – and that turned out to be a huge run as well. So all little things happened for the athletics today to help them win the game. And I think it's going to propel them, uh, you know, like you said, a happy flight to Houston. They're going to play the Astros and then the Diamondbacks and then back to the Coliseum. So today was huge and especially doing it against the Los Angeles Dodgers. You know, Ray, you've seen, you've played on and you've seen some of the greatest teams of all time. When you look at this Dodger roster, I mean, these guys have won their division eight straight years. They've now won the World Series. I mean, you can't take the bullpen out of it. Is this one of the best rosters you've ever seen? It's the best, it's the best money can buy. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, money is not an object to the Los Angeles Dodgers. You know, when the new ownership took over, remember when they would make trades uh, to get guys and then release them? They had a payroll of released players in excess of $50 million. You know, really, they're the, they're the New York Yankees on the West Coast, essentially. So, yeah, they, I mean, to sign Trevor Bauer to a $40 million annual contract, and then you already have Kershaw. And, oh, by the way, you put your $32 million uh, David Price in the bullpen. And, and like I said, when Price was pitching the other night, when that trade was made, there's no doubt the Red Sox said, we'll give you bets, but you got to take David Price. And you think about the money that Price was owed with his huge contract, and then Beth signs a long-term deal, and, and here's David Price in the bullpen. And, uh, you know, but, but like, like uh, Chris Russo was telling you, he's, and, and I agree with him, that as the season progresses, Kenley Jensen's not going to be the closer. They're going to be able to go out and, and get somebody on, from a team that maybe is going to be out of it. They have a good closer, and, and they can do whatever they want. They can, they can buy the player. They can trade for the player. Money's not an object. And I think if you can do that, then you're going to be outstanding. They have a great team, but, and it's, it's one of those swag teams like we talked earlier this morning. You know, guys have their shirts unbuttoned. They got the, all the chains and all that stuff, and they're having a great time. Well, a game like today, maybe it's something that they can think about saying, maybe we're, maybe we're a little short in something. We run up against good pitching. And speaking of pitching, and I hate to ramble on, but – you know, something came to mind and talk about Trevor Bauer, how well he pitched. But when Jesus Lazardo struggled in the first inning, then he settled down and retired those batters. And he had 98 pitches in the fifth inning. I looked down and nobody was warming up in the bullpen. Jesus was in the dugout, had his jacket on. I said, great. They have an off day Sunday. They have an off day 
on Wednesday. He's going to get at least one extra day. And granted, it's just his second start, but why not send him back out? Bob Melvin did end up taking him out, but at least he gave him the opportunity to pitch the sixth inning, whereas in the past we've seen, boom, you're gone. 98 pitches, not even going to take a chance. Man, I would have loved to seen Ray Fossey with like three to four buttons undone, a couple <laughs> gold rope chains, hitting a home run and watching those chains bounce off your chest in the 70s. Oh, that would have been awesome. But, Tommy, if I had done that, which, as I told you earlier, I didn't make enough money to buy the heavy chains. <laughs> but if, if, if I had done that, my next at bat, I would have been brushing myself off because there's no way. I mean, uh, I mean, as it turned out in, in, in my era, and, and I know a lot of people listening can probably relate to this. If, if I hit a home run, the guy behind me gets hit. And then when I come up, I get hit also. And so it's one of those, you hit a ball, you put your head down, and you run. And you get the home plate, and you run in that dugout as quickly as possible. You do not want to upset the guy on the mound. And if you take your time going around the bases with your shirt unbuttoned and the chains popping around, <laughs> you're going to get drilled, man. You're going to get drilled. And, and, you know, it just doesn't happen that way nowadays. But uh, still, a, a very well-played game today, and I think that's something that, you know, they could, they could live on. You said it best. Yeah, he's picked up a half a game. And they have a good series against the Astros and then into Arizona and come back to Coliseum. It is early in the season. Get in the first one out of the way, just like Chappie today with the home run and the base hit. I think he's going to start turning it around. Great play at third base, a couple of great defensive plays. Moreland getting the big hit. Andrus tying the game with the sack fly. You know, Kemp laying down a bunt with, with nobody out of the ninth inning. You know, all good things for the athletics, and I think that's something that's going to help them going forward. You know, the mindset of a professional athlete, when you go see a specialist and surgery's on the table, and I know you and I have talked about this before, is you've had multiple surgeries, you've had surgery during the season. You know, I mean, if you could give advice to Trevor Rosenthal, what would it be? Tony, I've always thought, and, and you know, I, I look back to 1970 when I had, there was this collision on home plate, and stupidly, I played because I was told I was okay. I could lift my arm above my shoulder. Fast forward to when I was with the Cleveland Indians and Rick Manning, outstanding center fielder, had a bad back and he wanted to play. I said, Archie, why? I said, who are you hurting? You're hurting yourself, number one, but you're hurting the team because you cannot play the way you're capable. I think for players today, if they get uh, have a surgery in the, in the season. Obviously, it's devastating for the club. It's devastating for the player. But if you have a specialist, a doctor who says, okay, these are your options. See, I think with Tatis, they're trying to milk that. And, and you know, if he's going to need surgery, they're going to give him 10 days to try to get well. But if that keeps popping out, his shoulder keeps popping out, what good is he going to do? He signed a 14-year contract. But if they try to bring him back, and it gets worse because he does play, and then something else happens, and then they have to go in, and it's more, uh, more of a problem than initially. You know? So I think what's happened with Trevor Rosenthal, if the surgery happens and it looks like it might and he misses time, then that's part of it. The thing that, that at least Trevor Rosenthal was, was able to, and, and the A's were fortunate, that he spread out his three-year contract. It's almost like deferred money. So you know, it's not the big hit in one year. It's spread out over three years. But in the case of Tatis, you know, you know, we talked about can they guarantee that? I don't know if guarantee con – I'm not guaranteed, but if, can you insure a contract? 
like they used to. I, I don't know if it's feasible. So maybe when you talk to David Force tomorrow, maybe ask him about that, Connie, because with all the huge contracts, can those players be insured? And is it feasible for the insurance policies and the cost, which is horrendous, very high? But, uh, you know, how does that work? And I, I think that's something that uh, if I had a chance to talk to, to David, I would ask him that specific question because those are important questions, especially with the high uh, salaries of certain players. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But you know what? If, if, if the, the biggest thing, I remember when Eric Chavez had back surgery or, or had a back issue, and he ended up having surgery. And um, he said, you know, boss, he said, I don't feel the same. And I said, you know what, Shavi? God gives us a perfect body whenever we're born. But once you're cut on, your, your body changes forever. And you have to overcome that between your ears. You have to overcome that because you have, if you have surgery, there's a reason. And you're going to be able to come back and be strong. But if you're mentally done by thinking, okay, I had surgery, I'm finished. No, you're not. I mean, I'm a, and I, I told him, I said, look at me. I've had knee surgeries and fingers and shoulders and all kinds of surgeries, you know, but you keep going and maybe you will not be able to play up to the, the part of when you were playing when before surgery, but that doesn't mean your career is over because if you believe that you're coming back from the surgery and you're hundred percent, then you can continue your career. But if between your ears, you think I'm done, you're going to be done. And that's, that's in any walk of life. And, you know, it's between the ears and, and believing that whatever you're doing, you're going to be the best at what you're doing. And, and you know, Xavi didn't have the top of years after he had surgery. And let's just hope if Rosenthal has the surgery and he can't pitch, uh, there are still guys that even before he was acquired that I thought were viable uh, possibilities for the closing role. And you mentioned them today in Dickman and Trevino. And, and, you know, you kind of mix and match. You don't have a, a true closer. Kind of like the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> 13 different players with, uh, with Sage. So uh, you, you do what you have to do. And, and again, you, you made the best statement. Nobody feels sorry for a team that has injuries because injuries are part of the game of baseball and nobody's going to feel sorry for you unless it's your own fans and your own team. But still, you have to overcome that and play the game because, you know, you're going to play 162. And let's just hope that's the case. You know, I was thinking about it, Ray, because CBS Sports put out an article about this like right as I was doing the postgame show. And they said... You know, you have the surgery. It's 12 weeks. I'm thinking, okay, midsummer. And the thing about a reliever, it's easier to rehab and start throwing and get back into games as a reliever than it is a starter. Because you got to, like, pace the guy every five days. So I just – there could be a possibility Trevor Rosenthal could be back and potentially could help this team. No, I agree 100% and exactly what you said, because a reliever is not on a five-day rotation plan. And a reliever can build up his arm strength. And, you know, maybe he doesn't have – well, he's mostly he's probably going to throw as an inning anyway. And so how many pitches is he going to throw? So it's not like you have to build up to 100 to be a starter. You can build up to whatever you feel necessary to be strong. The key is to be healthy, and once that starts, then – or once you get healthy, then – start the throwing program it's not like a tommy john surgery where you have to gradually build into or build up the arm strength and make that first throw and the whole thing like that but uh, no you're exactly right a reliever does not take as long 
position player doesn't take as long. It's the starting pitcher who has a major surgery that takes the most because the guys go to spring training early to build up their arm strength. And just like last year, the unfortunate shutdown of spring training because of COVID, those guys essentially got in shape in the offseason to start the season or start spring training, and then they shut down. And while they may have thrown during that period of time in which they were off before spring training point two came up in July, that's still a lot of missed time. And you have to be disciplined enough to believe that eventually we're going to play again and, and start throwing. But um, that would be great. I mean, I always feel, Tony, and I'm sure you do as, as a baseball person, that if you can get somebody back of that magnitude by the trading deadline, it's like you've made a fabulous trade. And then that person is strong going down the stretch in postseason to where if healthy, in the case of Trevor Rosenthal, who has the ability to close because he has that in his resume, then I think that could be a great addition to a ball club that if you play the 162, and to your point of what you said about it's going to be different this year because it's 162 versus 60, you know, maybe that could be a plus for the athletics for him to come back, and let's hope that's the case. Have you ever seen somebody – essentially not play for two years (laughs) and then come back and it's like, he looks like the guy. I mean, that that bad today in the uh, inning was fabulous. I mean, Jed looks like Jed. Have you ever seen somebody take that much time off? What do you have? Like seven or six at bats or wherever it was? Have you ever seen uh, that? No, I've never seen that, Tony. You know, I had an experience. I missed uh, 1978 the whole season. And my first at bat in spring training in 1979, I hit a home run. I, that was it. It was all downhill after that. You know, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I hit it off Vita Blue because I was with the Brewers and hit it off Vita. And that was it. I mean, you know, I, I didn't get a lot of at bats. But, but, you know, for what Jed is doing, and, and you know, he's playing in the field at, at a key position. But, you know, what I was thinking about today and I was thinking about yesterday and what we've talked about before when the trade of Chris Davis was made as he is the designated hitter. So Bob Melvin uses Jed Lowry as a DH. He uses Canna as a DH. You know, so you can rotate, especially day game after night game or, or night game before day game, and you can manipulate the, 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 uh, the lineup to be able to utilize the designated hitter to help guys. And look at the Dodgers in this three-game series. They let three guys be the DH, and it's almost like a rest for them, even though it's early in the season. But still, that's what National League teams could do. Well, Jed Lowry. I've never seen somebody miss the time that he has missed and come back. But see, Jed has been the type of hitter, while he has power, but he's very selective. He knows the strike zone, and he uses the whole field. He's a switch hitter, very good from both sides. But you're right. What he did in the 10th inning uh, to foul off tough tough pitches and to draw the walk uh, made an exceptional at-bat. And so far in the first seven games, I've never seen anybody play the way he has after missing as much time as he did. It's a, yeah. it's a great, it's a great acquisition for the athletics, you know, and, and, you know, he's happy as he said, I'm home. And you know, what more could you ask for? The fact that probably the mental side, if he'd gone to another club and the expectations were such, but since he had been here a couple of times before, everybody knew what he was capable of doing. And maybe he had the, um, you know, the flexibility from the organization to have him start on the backfield in Mesa and then gradually work into playing during the major league games and spring training. So it worked out well, but it's all about Jed Lowry and what Jed's capable of doing. 
and it's been remarkable watching him because, you know, who knew what was going to happen to this ball club if, if Jed had not been acquired and if Jed was not playing the way he is right now. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's been very impressive. And uh, the fact that, you know, he's the type of guy that Bob immediately can start putting back, whether he's hitting second or he's hitting third. It's, yeah. just, uh, it, it, it's starting to smell like comeback player of the year if he really hits. You know, your guy, Sean Murphy, uh, you know, he's got so much talent, but he's really struggling right now just to make contact. I like the walk that he took late, but what advice would you give to him offensively? Well, I think kind of the biggest thing for, for Murph is to be able to be healthy enough to play every day. He had the lung collapse in spring training, you know, so he missed a, a good portion of spring training. He comes back, he gets hit on the right hand. And so little things like that, if, if he could be back there and play and see, I think an everyday catcher to me is about 125, 130 games, which gives the backup catcher essentially one game a week to play 26 week season. And if you do the math, you're looking at about one game. You're looking at a day game after a night game, giving your everyday catcher the full 48 hours rest before he catches again. But I think if Murph stays healthy, he's going to get clicked in just like Matt Chapman did today. But see, I think still, if he can do the job behind the plate defensively, block balls, throw, do the things there, handle the pitching staff, then the hitting's going to come. He, he's an offensive catcher, but his catching is the most important thing for him and this team, and especially with the young pitchers, for them to be on the same page, to work together. But his hitting's going to come. But, Tony, you have to play this game consistently. You, you can't miss time, and especially to come back and have it all be working for you. You remember when he caught Manaya in spring training the first game, and Manaya threw a lot of pitches in the dirt? He said, you know, that was great. I realized my timing was off from blocking balls in the dirt. See, it's all about timing, whether it's hitting, throwing, blocking balls. Anything you're doing behind the plate is a matter of timing. And if you get the timing down, then everything is relaxed for you. When Maldonado was catching McCullers on Saturday, do you see how much he was bouncing around behind the plate because McCullers was all over the place? As a major league pitcher and a catcher, you don't expect your pitcher to be all over the place. You're sitting behind the plate, kind of relaxed, giving the target. But when you have to start jumping around, you're saying, oh, my gosh. You know, I call a pitch down and, and down and away, and it's, it's up and in or over my head. What am I going to do? So, you know, it becomes a very tense job of trying to catch. But Murphy's going to be okay. He's going to be fine. And uh, I, I think it's just a matter of if he can stay healthy, we're going to see the Sean Murphy uh, that we've seen and we saw last year, especially towards the end of that abbreviated season and a postseason, and we're going to see the outstanding catcher that everybody has expected to see in Sean Murphy. We're having Steve Sparks on next. He wants to say hello for you. Steve Sparks is a good man, the knuckleball pitcher. And uh, I remember talking to him last year. I said, Sparky, how are these baseballs? He said, I'm glad I don't have to pitch because, see, a knuckleball pitcher uses the fingernails. And the baseballs were so hard. He said, I couldn't put my I couldn't put my fingernails in the, in the cowhide. They were so hard. So, now, he's a good man. He, he's had a good career um, uh, as a player and now as a broadcaster. And I, I think, um, you know, he, he's very honest in everything that he does and everything that he says. So give him my best. And, um, you know, well, that's not traveling. Actually, we left today and the elevator operator said, hey, have a good road trip. And I said, 
we're not going anywhere. <laughs> we're going to stay right here, you know. We're going to San Francisco and do the games in the studio and then uh, back to the Coliseum. But, you know, it, it is what it is, and we all just have to make these adjustments. And, uh, I, you know, I still, in, in closing, I think today's game was huge for the athletics. And the most important thing I heard and saw today, especially heard, was the excitement that you had, like it's winning the seventh game of the World Series, and he is a world champion because you were, you were at the top of your game in your post game because you were excited. And that's something that uh, is always nice to hear from you. You are the best, my friend. We will talk to you tomorrow in the pregame. Look forward to it, Tony. Have a good evening, buddy. Best to you, Cody. Bye, Ray. The face of the franchise. See you, Ray. Steve, how you doing? Chris Towns with the A's. I'm doing great. You guys had a long day, didn't you? Yeah, we had a long day. And, and, and boy, did we need a victory. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling, man. Sometimes those droughts can feel like they last a, a month long. I, I got to tell you, I mean, it, it the way we were rooting on today, you would have thought it was like the seventh game of the World Series. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. Just get, to get off the snide, can you imagine some players who start off over, you know, 19 to begin the season, how badly they're begging on every fly ball that they hit that somebody will trip? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we and we had that. I mean, finally today, some guys broke out, and hopefully, it's going to help. I and and I think for you, how nice is it going to be to have baseball in front of you to call instead of being off a monitor? Yeah, these monitors, you know, and I, I don't want to gripe about our jobs because our jobs are nothing. You know, they, they're they're fun and it's a great job, but it's difficult. It's so much harder. Uh, to do what we do uh, off of these monitors. So I'm anxious to uh, have everything in front of us where we can see the uh, uh, the umpires, where the ball actually is, and uh, where the runners are on scoring plays and things of that nature. So it's going to be fun, and plus it's going to be fun to have 50% capacity at Minute Maid Park tomorrow. So I, I think a lot of the fans are chomping at the bit to get back into uh, a stadium and root for their team. No doubt. And we had Blummer on when we uh, hosted you guys the first time around. And, you know, just talking about, you know, the Astros and the swagger's back. And that's the one thing I think we noticed. And I think people down in Anaheim, whether you're booing them and you're calling them cheaters, just tell us what you've seen with this team so far this year. Well, what I've noticed is, they, and they flipped the switch going into the playoffs last year, and I've never seen a team be able to do that. And you guys witnessed it firsthand that, you know, they looked dead, and you guys saw them toward the end of the season, too. They looked like they were beat. They didn't look like they had any life in them. And when the playoffs started, they played Minnesota, and then they played uh, the A's in the division series, and even Tampa, the way they stormed back in that series. <clears throat> I just couldn't believe that they were able to turn on that switch that the way the, the way they did. And I felt like there was a few players, and we talked about this last year, Chris, that you know, there are certain players that, that wear their emotions on their sleeve a little bit more, maybe a little more sensitive, that were embarrassed and ashamed, and maybe maybe fought with bouts of depression to a degree, uh, and it showed on their play in the field. But they got to spring training and it, and it looks a little different. You know, I think I think the playoff uh, kind of catapulted uh, this team into to what we're seeing right now. And and uh, I think with all the booing and, and all the jeers, uh, it's going to keep them pretty darn focused, uh, even through some of the, the lulls of the season. 
Yeah, and it, it's going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully the A's can get back in this thing and really, really have that battle because, you know, as much as everybody's always going to talk about Red Sox and Yankees, now the chic one is Dodgers, Padres. I don't think naturally mm-hmm. people understand how good this rivalry is between the Astros and the A's. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of players on the A's that used to be Astros and, and vice versa, and it just feels like, you know, they've had some dust-ups and they've had a lot of uh, comments uh, post-game that uh, have kind of riled the other team. And uh, there's, there's been a lot of hit-by-pitches. And it, sometimes you're scratching your head and you're wondering, was that on purpose or not? But it, it's made for a lot of drama. And that's what we need in the game. And I think it's fun. I think this rivalry is really good. Uh, and I think o- Oakland, you know, and I played for the A's. And, and I understand where they are. And I know how passionate the fan base is. And I love them. And it's one of my favorite stops ever because of their fans. But they're, they're on a shoestring budget. And the Astros aren't, but their rosters are similar in this, Chris. And it's going to show its ugly head at some point. And it's going to be really evident to you guys when you see it is that they are wafer thin as far as their depth goes, especially when you look at their starting lineup. Pitching, I think that they they develop pitchers really well, and we saw a million guys roll out there in spring training that look like they're major league ready. But as far as their position players, it's an it's an amazing drop off to anybody if somebody gets hurt in their lineup. Well, I got to tell you, you know the, the the core guys though just wear us out. And Michael Brantley, I mean, if he played against the A's every day, he'd have a plaque in Cooperstown. I mean, we really well, we, we can't get that guy out. I got news for you, Chris. There, there's ten other teams that say the exact same thing. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, he does that all the time. And you guys were saying the same thing about Altuve a few years ago, too. I mean, you could not get him out, especially in Oakland. So, uh, you know, guys stick out for for what they're able to do. And I think a lot of it has to do is the outfield seems so large at the Coliseum that Brantley, who goes line to line, just looks like he just puts the ball exactly where he wants it, like he's hitting off of a tee. Yeah, he's such a special talent. You know, one of the big stories uh, at the start of the season was Carlos Correa turning down that 120, and then we we're dealing with uh, Lindor turning down 320 million, and eventually signing for around 340. Did you ever think in your career you 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 would for <laughs> a player you'd see guys turning down hundreds of millions of dollars? You know, we were saying this back then. I remember, you know, there was conversations in the clubhouses and the dugouts when Cecil Fielder is the first $3 million man, and then so-and-so is the the first $4 million man, and now we're seeing $30 million contracts for eight or nine years like it's it's nothing. So um, I'm not surprised. I I don't know where it'll end, but I do know that it's going to end at some point because of the luxury tax threshold. And because of that, it's going to be an artificial barrier for teams to go absolutely nuts with five of those types of contracts on any roster. So you're going to have to pick and choose maybe one or two that you can do that with. And the Astros have an extension with Bregman and Altuve in place right now. That's why it probably doesn't make sense to to sign Springer to that huge deal or Correa. Uh, but they're going to have to they're going to have to pony up uh, at, at some point here pretty soon with 
with uh, some more of these guys. We knew this, you know, uh, a lot of teams, uh, the Royals had a lot of free agents come, come to fruition at all the same time. So there was a quick halt. And what the Astros tried to do and, and, and what they were saying is they felt like they could sustain a pretty good team for a while if they laddered some of these stars coming to the big leagues year after year. So they weren't becoming free agents at the same time. So each year they're going to have to make a decision or two at this point to see if there's relevance there. What do you do as a front office if you know this guy wants – I don't even know what he wants. He turned down 120. So I don't know if he wants over two. I don't know if he wants three. You got the trading deadline coming up. And if you think you can't afford him and he's going to walk, could it be a point to where maybe you could potentially trade him before the deadline? To Because you probably could get a lot for him. Yeah, I think so. But it's a, it's a rental at that point. And the Astros are hoping that they're in the race, you know, at that, at that stage. So why would you want to get rid of, you know, uh, yeah. arguably your team leader? He, I mean, he really is. I think he's their team leader. He's the most vocal. Uh, he's the most eloquent in all of that, but it's really hard Chris, to commit a really long-term contract to somebody who hasn't played more than 110 games uh, very often. You know, there's just always something uh, that happens with Correa, and uh, twice it's it's happened with his back. And when you're talking about a six foot four shortstop at the age of 26 or 27 years old, you worry about it when they have back issues. And, and you know, the guy that started out really well, and he's always fun to watch. And and I know you as a former pitcher, you appreciate. And we've talked about we think he is a future Hall of Famer. Uh, Zach Greinke, mm-hmm. the way he has started yeah. out, how much fun has it been watching him so early in the season, but to watch him just slice and dice people? Yeah, that's what that's what I look forward to more than anything is uh, getting a chance to watch him every fifth day. I, I kind of smile just when I wake up that morning because I, I know I get a chance to go watch something that we used to watch. And, and what's fun about it is, it's somebody who changes speeds on all of his pitches and he's not going to be a cookie cutter in his approach every game. So you can't really game plan for a pitcher like Zach Grinke. And I think the biggest reason why Chris is because he's so athletic. And I think Dylan Bundy's like this to an extent with the angels. He's an athlete too, but I think they read swings real well and they can see what somebody's trying to do. And if they feel like somebody's trying to pull the ball, say a right-hander against them, then they're just going to tease them away, you know, throw sliders away. And, you know, they can prey on guys' weaknesses because they can read swings real well. Yeah, it's called pitching. And it's like now yeah. it's like everybody is just – everybody's a thrower. Everybody wants to get up there and everything they throw is hard. It's as hard as you can with your fastball. It's as hard as you can with your breaking ball. And then all of a sudden Zach Grinke gets up there. It's like it's it's like watching pitching again. It's so refreshing. Right. So, so if everybody's going to go out there and throw as hard as they can now and they get you five innings, isn't that going to devalue the starting pitcher? I mean, why are these contracts so exorbitant for these starting pitchers when they're not averaging seven innings a game anymore? They're averaging more like five and a third, and it's putting more of the uh, impetus on, on the bullpen. Why, why aren't they getting paid a little bit more because of it? Well, doesn't it make you want to throw up in your mouth when you see, like, oh, the guy's getting taken out in the fourth inning with, like, 70 pitches? You're like, really? Right. Yeah. 
and they're taking off their hat and pointing up to the sky and uh, <laughs> on their way into the dugout. I know that drives uh, the Astros pitching coach nuts. Um, you know, and he's looking for guys. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, who, who they got uh, during the spring, is scheduled to make his first start on April 13th. So that's around the corner, and he's more of a pitcher's type pitcher. Uh, who who should probably uh, eat innings, and I think eating innings is, is going to garner uh, a lot of good results for teams who can get two or three of their pitchers to eat some innings. Well, my whole problem when people say wins for starting pitchers don't matter anymore, my problem is this: it's like, okay, you go four, you go five, and then all of a sudden you're expecting all these different relievers to cover all these innings. And you're expecting, I mean, if you have like, let's just say five relievers in the game, to ask all five to be great on that night and not to have at least one of them screw up, I mean, that's right, the that's it. That's, that's, that's the best point, Chris. I mean, that's, that's what you're asking for every one of them to come through and be at their best in a close game. And, and that's asking too much, I, I think, especially to be consistent. So, you know, it's weird what they're going to have to do this year if they're going to have – eight relievers say they're going to have to have at least three of them that have options left. You can't have veterans down there all the way through because you're going to have to shuttle these guys back and forth between the alternate site and AAA all season long to be able to uh, mop up all the innings you're going to have to. Brent Strom, the pitching coach for the Astros, added it up uh, when he had all the pitchers that pitched for the Astros last year, and if you increase their uh, percentage of innings by 30% this year, you'd still be 400 innings shy of what you needed to, to do to cover a, a season. You know, when I was a kid growing up in San Diego, there was a San Diego School of Baseball, and Brent Strom was one of the owners, yeah. and he was a part of it with, like, Bob Cluck, and then later, like, Tony. Alan Blaine, Trammell. Trammell was there, and, uh, yeah, yep. Trammell's a good friend of my brother. They play golf. Um and I think about Brent, and I think about his age, but I think about how he is aged, and he's aged with the analytics. He's he's aged with the data. I mean, just talk about what an incredible pitching coach he is. That 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 he has just evolved with the sport, and that what that's what makes him so special. Yeah, you know, and he was an innovator a, a few years ago when you were talking about pitchers pitching at the top of the zone. Once we started to notice everybody was trying to elevate the baseball and Brent Strom knew a year or two before that, that there was going to be a gigantic uh, upswing in pitchers who were able to, to land pitches in the top of the strike zone. You know, what's funny about that is he's so creative, Chris, that it's not just the fastball up there. When we saw Garrett Cole and, and Justin Verlander, you would think that they were mistakes but they were by, by design throwing sliders up and away to hitters just because of the uppercut. Everybody's got this exit velocity and the launch angles in the back of their mind to get the ball up in the air. So why throw sliders low? They're throwing sliders up in the zone, and it was working like like a charm. So uh, I can't say enough about Brent Strom. He's got two assistant pitching coaches right now. Uh, but, man, he's got more energy and more knowledge than anybody put together right now. And what the Astros have coming through their farm system right now as far as arms, and we see it in spring training, it's unbelievable how many guys can spin it uh, and, and do all the things that, that deviates from the standard of other pitches that makes them special. 
You mentioned Verlander. Do you have any idea the timetable on him? Will we see him at all this year? I can't imagine him starting. I can imagine him coming in and getting an inning or two, but I can't imagine him getting ramped up enough to, to make a difference at the end. Now, in the back of his mind, he's probably wanting to show teams because he's going to be a free agent that he's healthy. And he's probably going to press the issue and try to get back as quickly as possible. But he didn't have Tommy John surgery until September last year. And that's typically at least 12 months. And it's usually closer to 14 to 16 months until uh, somebody recovers from that fully. So let's end on this. You know, one thing that we noticed, and I, I know with Jordan, uh, Dusty said once he, he knows his knees are healthy, he'll move them up in the order. Well, he looked real healthy against us. And I'm just wondering, you lose Springer, you hate that, but now you got Alvarez. Has he kind of filled that void so far? I think the, the void's going to be filled by the underperformance of all four infielders last year to a pretty large degree. I think that that's where you start. And I think Jordan, uh, he's a force. I think he's one of the best hitters in baseball. I put him up there with Juan Soto and Acuna and Mike Trout, just a notch below. He's not up there, but he's close. When you look at the approach, the ability to hit the ball to all fields, the power, uh, he's the whole package, I think, as far as just an opposing figure in a lineup that makes everybody else better. But I think it starts with the four infielders. They all had brutal years last year. And I think you can expect all of them to have better years this year. Well, it's always great having you on. And I said this to Blummer, too. I can't wait till you guys come back out to Oakland. I mean, that's kind of been the toughest thing about COVID-19 is that none of us have been able to see each other. That's it. Yeah, we, we, miss, we miss you guys. We love coming to the Bay Area. Uh, I love the stadium even. You know, a lot of people knock the stadium, but I love everything about uh, the fans there, the team. I, I think the world, I think Bob Melvin's the best manager in baseball. Uh, it's always fun to be around him. And, and Korak and Catronio and Fossey, all those guys, uh, it's a blast. So uh, hopefully, you know, second half of the season, uh, we'll, we'll get a trip out there and uh, we can be doing this live. Yeah, well, we just had Fossey on before you, and he wanted us he wanted us to tell you to say hi. Well, hey, have you shaken hands with him lately? Oh, oh at 74 years old, it's still a death grip. That is no fun. That's like uh, sausage fingers. And I've got pretty big mitts, and he makes me feel like a four-year-old girl every time I see him. <laughs> well, be well, be safe, and uh, let's talk soon. Sounds good, Chris. Take care, man. This guy is the greatest sports Stark radio host that we've ever had. He's a Hall of Famer and, of course, the host of High Heat on MLB Network. The great Chris Russo, the Mad Dog, is with us. How are you, Mad Dog? Christopher, baby, how you doing, pal? Things good? What do you have for me today? Today was like Game 7 of the World Series for the A's. My God, did we need a win. Oh, boy, oh, boy, you sure did. Got a run in the ninth inning. Uh, then you get the run by hit by Moreland. That was a huge win. Tough schedule to start the year. Pitching's been bad. Going to Houston won't be easy. You had a you needed this game in the worst way. I mean, you almost were going to match the worst start in the history of the A's. That was a very, very, very important win. I felt the same. I know I didn't, I didn't follow it too carefully today. I mean, I knew they were losing three two. I then I saw they won in the extra innings. That was a must-get for the A's. Uh, they've been out of. They've been basically out of every game in the sixth inning. 
Uh, they needed this one today. I 100% agree. They're getting bad news out of Rosenthal, which you don't like. Uh, this is a, uh, you know, they could be going down. A, they could be, you know, the A's could be in the process of having a bad year. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes it just, it, it doesn't fire for you. I'm not ready. To, I'm not ready to say that yet, but you know, Owen six, one and six sounds a lot better than Owen seven. So that's a good step for you today, Chris. No question about it. Long way yeah. to go, but a good step. When I'm bringing up 1916 and Connie Mack, you know, it's not good. Yeah, that's a good point. One hundred percent. When you're doing that, you know you. And that's right. That's when Connie Mack sold his great teams. You know, Connie Mack had the two great runs with the A's. They were late twenties, and then of course in that period there in 1912, 1913, and the Federal League broke up his team. So, uh, you know, and there was a scenario where the A's were on their way. This is a very, very, very important win. Now, going to Houston's played great. You just saw him last weekend. You know, they've scored a million runs. That will be their home opener. It'll be a hard series, but, you know, just get a, you know, win one at least. Love, is it a three-game or a four-game series? Three-game series? It's a three-game series, and we got an off day on Sunday, which is weird. Now, it is strange. Yeah, back-to-back off days. A lot of teams had last Sunday off. You know, the uh, Marlins and the Rays had last Sunday off. Uh, a lot of teams, somebody else that had last Sunday off, so. Uh, something different with the Sunday off, but, uh, you know, get a game at least. Don't get swept. Get a game at least and sort of regroup a little bit. Hard schedule for the A's playing the Astros, Dodgers, and Astros. That's a tough way to start the year. Well, I got to tell you, the win today, a lot of different guys contributed, and you could see after the game how everybody felt the big relief. And there's something like games like this that can kind of propel you when everybody starts to get on track and feel good about themselves. So we hope that's going to happen. And, Chris, I got to tell you, the one thing, this this Dodger, obviously they've won the division eight straight years. They won the World Series. But they have such a problem with the back of their bullpen. To me, if they, if they had a good bullpen, I think they could have a Yankee-like run like 98, 99, 2000. It's just, they just have such a hard time closing games out. Well, I remember, too, Chris, though, when they get into the big game later in the year, especially in October, they won't have Jansen close the game. They will put one of their starters, Eurasis, they will put him back in a bullpen like they did last year. So they will put him, and he bailed them out last year on two or three occasions. They can put one of their starters in the bullpen in a big spot, and they won't have to rely on Jansen. Furthermore, they make a trade in July to get the best relief pitcher. So that's a problem that will bother them throughout the year and they'll lose an occasional game like today because of it, but they're going to win the division by 30 games. So from that standpoint, it's not going to be too harmful. And then when they get into the crucible of their season, which begins October 1st, that is when they have their bullpen somewhat modified and corrected. So you can pick them off occasionally in the regular season because of it, but in October, I'm not sure you can. Last year, they lost one game because of it with Tampa in game four but they still won a championship and they will not have Jansen close with the season on the line. So keep that in mind in that spot. They will change it. You know, we all love Dusty Baker. He's, he's a, he's a wonderful man and, and everything that he's done in his career. But recently when he was complaining about guys getting booed, guys getting yelled at, and he said that their guys have paid the price. 
I know it didn't sit well with our fan base. It didn't sit well with the Angels. How'd you feel about Dusty Baker's comments? Well, here's what I would say about the the A's, the A's and the Angels fans. Stop booing the Astros because you're fueling them. Leave it alone. That motivates them. They just went five and one on a road trip. They killed the Twins last year. They buried the A's and they almost beat Tampa. That uh, they got a lot of hot. They got a lot of young guys in that team still. Bregman, Altuve, Alvarez, obviously Correa. Uh, that's a winning team. That's a now. Listen, I'm not making excuses for them, but it's a winning team and it's a winning franchise. And I think they take. They love the fact right now that they're hated. I think it gives them a big chip on their shoulder. And I think in the long run, it hates them. It, it fuels them. So I actually think, you know, the A's booed them for four days and they got swept. And they scored about 50 runs. I think you're almost a little better off leaving them alone and just letting, you know, letting them sleepwalk through a series. They went nuts last week. And so did the Angels. And the Angels barely won a game. And they went nuts last week. And, you know, they did pretty much absolutely nothing, Oakland, that week. I think you're doing – the American League West is doing the Astros a favor by riling them up on a day-in, day-out basis. I really do. I think that's a great point because, you know, you know the difference between what we saw last year and what we're seeing this year, Chris? They've got their swagger back. There seems to be. I don't love their starting pitching. Uh, I don't love that they could use some pitching. I mean, I got young pitchers and, you know, I mean, Odorizzi and, you know, obviously Granke's pitched well so far. I don't love their pitching, but they, they got a good offensive team. I mean, they got a good third baseman. They got a good infield. Alvarez helps Kyle. Tucker's very good. Brantley came back. That's a good offensive team. And, you know, they're going to be the team. They're still the team to beat in the division. I don't care what anybody says. They're still the, I got to see the Angels pitch for the whole period of the, for the whole year. The A's are already in a big hole. Seattle and Texas aren't winning anything. So I, I still think they are the team to beat in the American League, and I just think you should leave well enough alone. Um, and the Yankees are the best team. in the, you know, the Yankees are not the great Yankees, but the Yankees I still think are the best team in the league. But I think everybody is you know, looking up at the Dodgers, who are by far the best team. I think the Dodgers are the best team in the sport. I think they're going to win well over 100 games. They'd be tough to beat in the postseason, no question about it. Yeah, we just saw it. Uh, I mean, the the depth that Dave Roberts has, he it, it gives him the ability to give guys off days to keep them fresh. Uh, they're very, very, they're very, very talented. Uh, you know, the biggest controversy we got on our sport is moving the All Star Game out of Atlanta to Denver. Uh, what is your opinion on that? Uh, the uh, commissioner had no choice; he had to do it. Uh, not because of the you know whatever his politics are but he had to do it because he could not take a chance in July that there would be a boycott of the game, uh, you know, led by Mookie Betts or Stanton or Judge or whomever. He could not take that chance. You can't have an all-star game in Atlanta and then have all your players not show up. That would have been an absolute disaster. I think he knew that and had to make sure he got ahead of it. So I have no problem whatsoever with him moving the game I know people are annoyed by it, but he did it to protect his sport because he could not guarantee that players would have been there. Players would have had a lot of pressure. Uh, don't forget, the All-Star game is right up against the NBA Finals this year in July. You know, Lakers, Nets, Harden, LeBron, Durant, you know, doing the social justice stuff and, you know, being very together 
and the media on their side, rightfully so, and baseball is playing an all-star game in a, in a city that a lot of people think, or in a state that came up with restrictive voting laws. Now, I don't forgetting what I feel about it, I'm just talking about it from a commercial standpoint and a business standpoint. Rob could not take that chance. So he's taking a bullet now. You knew he would take a bullet. I'm sure he knows that he'd take a big bullet, but it's something that he had to do uh, going to cut. Now, he went to Colorado because Colorado was in the uh, was in the plans of a future All-Star game. They had already been well under the way with their presentations. They already had, you know, set their plans together for down the road. And, you know, they kind of had a feel of how to flow an All-Star game. And in a short period of time of only three months, I think he probably felt that they were a little better equipped to handle this than, say, Milwaukee. So I think that's why he went to Colorado, too. That explains that. A lot of people are annoyed that he went to Colorado. That also has, I guess, some of the restrictive voting scenarios. But that's the reason. But it's something that he had to do. Do I, do I necessarily agree with it? Who cares what I think? From a business standpoint, I think it was the right move for the commissioner. I really do. On opening day, I'm driving to the ballpark and I'm listening to you on XM and you made some great points. And speaking of the business of baseball, you're talking about how opening day, it's so important, but you know, baseball's lost a lot of fans and they need to be smart with everything they do to try and build that fan base back up. hundred percent. Now they're going to lose some fans here too, because they know, it's right down the middle on this on this issue. You know, you got half the fans who love it and half the fans who think it's terrible. I've heard all the I, I the calls today. I got a lot of fans telling me, geez, what a joke. I'm never going to a game again. You know, fans are going to go to the games. What you have to do now if you're a sports fan, Chris, you have to separate things off the field and just concentrate on the field. You, you can't get that worked up. Uh, if you don't like some of the uh, actions, you got to leave it alone. It's still sports. You got to enjoy it from a sports perspective. When they whistle, when when the uh, when the when the game starts, it's still a game, and that's how you have to approach it. If you're gonna sit there and quibble about what people say, what they do, league stances on certain things, uh, you know you're gonna you, you're gonna drive yourself crazy. You, you really got to look at it just from a sports perspective. That's what I'm trying to do. Not get too wrapped up in all the outside stuff and just concentrate on the sports. But I do understand from Manfred's perspective, I do get a good feel of why I made why, why I made. It. Now, listen, I got some issues with baseball. I can bring up a lot of issues that I don't like. I, I see a lot of hypocrisy with this and other things. But as far as this specifically is concerned, I understand why baseball did it. I really do. You know, my biggest issue is the length of games starting out this year is completely out of hand. We've been having four-hour games. We're averaging well over three hours, 20 minutes a game. You and I love this game, but how do we speed it up? Because right now, you're not going to get kids sitting through three hours and 40 minutes of baseball. What are we going to do? 100% right. This has been a problem now for a while. Not as bad in the postseason because the games mean something. But think about it for a second. Uh, Kansas City and Texas, in the opening game of the year, they did not play the bottom of the ninth inning. 14-10 was the final. It took four hours and 26 minutes. If that was Chiefs-Cowboys at Arrowhead, uh, five feet away from Royal Stadium in the same parking lot, game would have been over in three hours. They play 16 games. The Royals play 160, 162. That's all you need to know. 
The Texas-Kansas City opening day game took four hours and 26 minutes, and they play 162 games. Chiefs and Cowboys, now they're going to play 17, play 17 games. It takes three hours. That's all you, that tells you what you need to know. Uh, the pitch clock, you like to see it. People stepping out of the batter's box, you like that controlled. Uh, the parade of relievers is a, is a disaster. The great pitcher taken out after five innings. Aaron Nola today was leading the Mets 4-1 after four innings, came out after four. He's their, he's their ace. I know it's his second start of the year. That's ridiculous. J- Jacob Grom, the, an opening day for the Mets two days ago, 76 pitches taken out after six innings. When you do that and you bring in a bunch of relief pitchers, games slow up. But the pace of the game is a major problem in a sport. There's no question about it. Major Can- problem. Can't DeGrom with his cachet look at look at that? I'm not coming out. Like if I'm taking DeGrom, I, I'm I'm fighting everybody who wants to take me out of that game. I think he would have in a, in a, in a you know in, a, in September. I think it's April 5th. They had a five. They had like a week layoff because of COVID. Uh, it's the first game of the year. Uh, I, it's a new manager. Don't forget Rojas basically just got there. So I, I think he's trying to be a little. Um, I think he's trying to, you know, be somewhat accommodating. I think if that's September, you know, he is a little more forceful about staying in the game. But it's so early in the season, he takes himself out. But he took him, you know, it was 77 pitches. And, you know, when Aaron Ola comes out of the game today, now he struggled in the fourth inning, but he came out of the game today after four innings. I mean, and then you're bringing in nine relievers to get, you know, the, the next 15 outs. No wonder the game takes four and a half hours. It's a problem. Baseball's got to, you know, who knows what the solution is. Uh, less relief pitching. People not stepping out of the batter's box, a pitch clock, more balls in play, not taking 20 pitches in a bat. That would go a long way to speed up the process. Let's end on this. You got the TV show. You got your show on Sirius XM that covers all sports. Just how do you how do you cover baseball and then what you do on your satellite show where you cover all sports, it's just trying to figure out how you're able to cover all this. It's truly amazing. Well, what I try to do, sometimes baseball helps me, the TV show, because there are occasional days, maybe 10, in which I'll do the same monologue because baseball is the lead story in sports. So that actually helps me. And the other thing that helps me is that there's so few talk show hosts now, nationally in TV, radio, that do baseball. Baseball is not part of the national discussion. They're not part of the national conversation for a variety of reasons. A lot of young hosts, they don't know that much about the sport. They don't know anything about the history of it. Joe DiMaggio, they've never heard of. Mickey Mantle, they have no idea who he is. And so as a result, since I do so much of it, I think it actually helps me. Uh, but, you know, baseball has its moments where, you know, you're going to talk about it in October. You're going to talk about it a few times in July. You're going to talk about it opening day. You're going to talk about it a little bit in March, maybe at the trading deadline. But you are still going to talk about football. You're still going to talk about college football more so than you're going to talk about baseball. But, you know, that doing the baseball show every day on TV, it actually helps me for the radio because, I wouldn't probably follow baseball as closely as I have to if I didn't have to do the TV show. And that, in, in theory, that helps me do baseball better on the radio. So, in essence, it helps me some. 
Uh, you know, nobody's going to call me tomorrow on the Pelican Nets game. Uh, you know, but I'll get calls on, you know, some certain things in baseball right now, this time of the year. You know, the college is over. College basketball is over. So baseball has got a little window here without a lot going on before the draft. It's in the NFL draft. It's got a little window here to make a little noise. First couple weeks of the season and everything else. And baseball has been in the discussion the last few days because of this all-star game. So in essence, it kind of helps baseball, puts it, on the, puts it on the map a little bit. And, you know, as a result, that helps me because I got to cover it every day. Well, I got to tell you, you know how much you mean to this program. We always appreciate your time. You're an icon in our business. Thank you so much for coming on. Be safe, be well, and let's talk soon. Good job, Chris. Anytime, pal. Appreciate it. Thanks Take very much. Care. Emo, it's been a while. How have you been, my friend? I've been pretty good. I uh, can't complain, I guess. You know, I wish I could come down and see you, but we're kind of stuck in the press box. But 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 we're watching you from afar. Well, I, I not not much to look at, right? So uh, you know, that's why uh, you know what do they talk about? Uh, I got a voice for radio. <laughs> well, that's why someday you will be in radio someday. Uh, you know, I don't want to harp too much on the first four games because it's just four games. But what do you think was the main problem with your pitching staff against the Houston Astros? Well, you know, uh, Joe Durham, uh, my coach in Frederick one time told me, he who swings is most dangerous. And uh, just looking back at the numbers, you know, they, they swung the bat 299 times against us in four games, and we just left too many balls close to the middle. And, uh, you know, against a good hitting team who, who swings the bat uh, when the ball's in the, in the center area, yeah, I think we uh, we threw 12 pitches middle middle and and gave up six hits. But you know, it's all those other pitches around the middle that uh, you know good hitters can can you know hit really good. And, and they got a really good strong lineup. We're just going to have to figure them out. Uh, we're going to have to make sure we stay on our location and not worry about you know how hard we're throwing or how soft we're throwing. It, it's all about executing your pitch and executing the right pitch. You know, just making sure that we're not predictable and being predictable. I think sometimes we got into some predictable counts. Uh, we threw some pitches that, uh, you know, you, you may want to have back that weren't executed. You know, it, it's always, you know, we can always sit back and second guess because that's kind of, you know, what we do in sports is, is you we uh, you sit back and go, well, you could have, should have, and would have. And then, you know, at the end of the day, we just had to execute better pitches. And, you know, our guys, you know, they're always fighters. And that's the one thing I love about this crew uh, is they fight and they want to pitch and they want the baseball. It's just those last four games, we just, you know, missed some execution and, and maybe made some wrong selections at times. And the one thing I've been trying to say on the post game show is that you got to remember, this is everybody's first outing. This is not, this isn't like outing number 10 or 15 or 20 or for a reliever, it's their 31st. I mean, this was basically everybody's first go. Yeah, you know, you get out there, you get your feet wet. Now, all of a sudden, you got fans in the stands again. You got some adrenaline flowing. And, um, you know, guys want to go out there and make a, a great impression. And maybe we pressed a little bit, you know, being defending uh, uh, AOS champions. And, and you know, we like I said, we just made some mistakes. And they capitalized on it. And, and that's what good hitting teams do. And, and they're a good hitting team. So we just got to make sure – you know, the next time we face them, we minimize our mistakes and we stay on our location. Yes. You know, something that everybody now is so into is looking at the radar gun and how hard you throw. But 
I don't care how hard you throw. If you throw it in the wrong spot, talk about how these really good hitters, they'll tee it up and they'll crank it. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I always talk about, you know, uh, you know, you've heard me say it a thousand times. Uh, uh, if hitting's timing, pitching is disruption of timing. And then every hitter in the big leagues can time a bullet. You know, if they know if they know something hard's coming, they can prepare and they can get ready. You know, just as much as we have scouting reports on them, they have scouting reports on us. So that's what makes it uh, more important that you execute your pitches, especially when you got uh, hitters who've seen, you know, a Chris Bassett over the last uh, few years and then Petit over the last few years. When you're facing the same guys over and over again, uh, you really have to make sure that your command is, is really good because they know what you're throwing and they know what you like to throw. It's just you got to have the ability to hit those areas of the plate uh, when you're going to those areas of the plate. If a starter has a rough start, he's got days before he gets on the mound. What do you do mentally with each guy? And I know each guy's different, but what is the mental game you have with these guys to help them get over that bad start and build them back up for that next one? Well, you know, it's, it's, confidence is a big thing in this game and when you get in that bullpen and you're preparing for your next start you you need to challenge yourself in that bullpen whether it's you know hitting areas of the plate hitting your spots throwing balls in the dirt when you want to throwing in off the plate when you want to you know we got the technology that our bullpens are being tracked and guys should go out there and prepare like it's a game you know I'm not asking these guys in the bullpen you know if they throw 95 to throw 95 but we need them to execute their pitches and work on their command because command is the number one element of pitching if you don't have the ability to command the baseball you're in trouble because the hitters will start centering you uh, closer to the middle of the plate you know and you just can't get up there and try to throw it as hard as you can and hope and pray you, you got to get up there and, and you got to be able to hit sides of the plate. Uh, you got to be able to go up and down. You got to be able to go in off and chase away at will. And that's what the best pitchers in the game do. So in your practice, you need to practice that. Uh, we can track that. You need to look at it and go over it. But at the end of the day, you know, it all comes down to the confidence that you have and the execution that you have. And you got to go out there and you've got to want it. And, and that's what makes, uh, baseball such a great game and and you always love watching those competitors go out and pitch you know i i know garcia's had to fill in for murph ever since he got hit but does that make it tough not having your starting catcher who all your pitchers are used to throwing to yeah i mean it's a little different you know we we try to uh bring garcia up the up the speed of what um you know, each guy likes to throw, you know, we prepare a report for every pitcher versus every hitter. So, you know, he's reading the reports, but then there's also, you know, the field, the game, uh, and, and what's on paper is plan a, you know, you got to have the ability to, uh, go to plan B or even plan C during the game, you know, what the hitter is trying to accomplish and what your pitcher actually has that night. You know, what's on paper is, 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 you know, his, stuff when it's really good and that's why you got to be out there and monitoring what you're doing each and every uh, pitch you know how each pitch is working that day and then see if you can put it back into the game plan as mike tyson says everybody's got a game plan until you get hit in the face and that's one dude i wouldn't 
wouldn't want to get in the ring with. <laughs> All right. If the I had to, if, if I had to, I would though. Yeah, it, 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 you can make some money, but it's going to be over real quick. Yeah, I hear you. Dodgers, uh, you had to play a lot of defense. <laughs> good luck. Uh, Dodgers come to town. They've got a very good lineup. What have you seen so far? You know, they, they're they're very comparable to the Astros. You know, if you throw the ball around the center of the plate, uh, they're they're swinging, and they got a, a you know a, a destructive lineup from top to bottom. Uh, they got guys that are, are really good uh, hitters. They, they, they hit their pitch. They wait on their pitch. Uh, they wait on their areas of the plate. So, you know, our guys have still got to come out uh, over the next three games and execute the pitches that they're throwing and stick to your strengths, but hopefully capitalize on their weaknesses. And that's the one thing that makes up a great major league pitcher is you got to have that ability to to have a strength that covers the hitter's weakness. And, and we have that. We just got to be able to execute those pitches. You got Frankie Montas going tonight. I know he's dealing with some health issues. How, how's he been looking? Uh, Frankie, you know, had, had a sim game here in Oakland uh, on our workout day, threw the ball, you know, very well. Uh, you know, the whole thing with him is keeping him fresh, keeping him healthy, and keeping him strong. You know, the, the when that fastball – is uh you know 96 to 100 and and that slider's 88 to 92 93 then you know he's you know going to have you know success over over the course of the season i think last year you know we saw a little bit dip in Cedillo and a little bit dip in his in his breaking pitch but you know that that split has been uh really good over his last few outings in spring training you know it's all getting on the mound here during the regular season and, and seeing where each and every guy's at and I'm looking forward to watching Frankie go out there tonight. Yeah, me too, and I can't wait. It's going to be a good matchup, the Athletics up against the Dodgers, and the Dodgers obviously won the World Series last year. They just took three or four from the Colorado Rockies, so they're coming off the mound back to sea level, and that's always interesting to see what a team – I've always thought that was fascinating, and I know the gamblers really look at it, is what does a team do in their next series – after going to Coors Field, because Coors Field is so dramatically different than anywhere else in baseball. Well, you know, for me, I, I think if you look at uh, the, the way the game is trending, you know, everybody always used to say you go to a bandbox ballpark or you go to a ballpark where the ball flies and, and everybody's trying to hit home runs. Um, I think that that's the way the game's trending anyways. You know, uh, whether you're in Colorado or whether you're in Oakland, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, you know a lot of guys are trying to hit home runs. You look at what happened to us again against the Astros. A lot of our damage was a walk, and then boom, a three-run homer. And uh, you got to be able to keep the ball, ball, the ball in the ballpark. You know, and you know walks walks can kill you, but uh, you know hits after walks really are the devastating thing. You you can't walk people and give up hits after that. You can walk people and get the next guy out. But uh, it's the walks and the homers, the combination of the two that, that are the knockout punch. And those are the things that you got to try to avoid. But it seems like nowadays, you know, a lot of hitting in baseball is, is going for that knockout punch. And, and um, you know, I know Earl Weaver always used to talk about it, it with the Orioles, you know, the, the walk and the three-run homer is what they were looking for. And that's kind of what I see goes on in a lot of baseball nowadays is you got a lot of guys up and down the lineup you know, trying to hit it over the fence, taking taking swings, and 
you just can't give them the pitches that they can hit over the fence. You got to be able to move that baseball around and put it in good spots. And that's why I still believe that, you know, disruption of timing helps you out and keeping those hitters off balance and missing those pitches that are, are borderline close to their damage spots. You know, we've talked a lot about the baseball and the deadening of the baseball. Have you noticed anything in the first couple of games? I haven't noticed anything with that. I mean, just listening to the sound, and I, I'll still go back to the bats, you know, just listening to the sound and watching some of the balls go to the opposite field. You know, when when I grew up, there were very few players that could go opposite field for homers, and now it just seems like it's, it's a contagious thing. You got you got you know a lot of guys who can go opposite field, you know, it, and it's 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 kind of like golf sometimes. You know, golf's changed their equipment so much, uh, and they change the golf ball, and you get to play with a different golf ball, and these guys are hitting it really far. But you know, that's both sides of the the ball. You know, both teams have an opportunity to do those those things, and uh, you know, it just makes it a tougher game on pitchers when you can make a pitch on the outer third and they go over the fence, but that's, you know, like I said, that's no excuses there. Both sides of the ball have to be played like that. It just makes it for, you know, you're going to see a little bit more home runs uh, going on. And that's what's trended over the last, you know, 10 years in major league baseball. Now I don't want to get you in trouble when an umpire out there has an erratic strike zone and you're watching that and it's against, and it's, and it's against your pitcher. How frustrated do you get? Well, you know, honestly, you know, these umpires, you know, if you really dive into the numbers and, and look at them and their success rate is generally like 92 and above, they do a great job. They, they really do. The things that you just, that you only get frustrated, that I only get frustrated on are just making sure the strike zone is the same for both teams. You know, if we're getting the same calls or they're missing the same calls, I'm fine with that. It's just sometimes, um, you know, if, if you just see a different strike zone for uh, two different teams, that's the only time you start getting frustrated. But, you know, the umpires, I mean, they weren't to blame on, on anything in the four games we played against the Astros by, by any means. Um, but just answering your, your question specifically, you only get, I only get frustrated if you feel like the zones are different. And let's end on this. There's been a lot of talk about foreign substances. And what bothers me about this is that basically it's pitchers getting a better grip on these slick baseballs that are like cue balls. But yet the hitters, Emo, they get to use pine tar. They get to use all kinds of stuff. They can have they can have pads on their elbows. They can have pads on their ankles. They can be all armored up. I just don't like the fact that hitters get to have all this stuff. And then they look at the mound and say, pitchers, you guys get nothing. Well, you know, if, if I was a hitter, I would definitely be armored up and not be scared of diving into the baseball at all. I mean, I'd have the, the wrist pad, the, the hand pad I've seen some. I'd have the elbow guard. Yeah. First of all, me, I'd, I'd want to wear a motorcycle helmet with all these guys throwing this hard. But, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, I'd like to see the baseballs have a little bit more seams for the pitchers. Um, but you know, both teams are playing with the same ball. So, you know, I, I can't complain, you know, if that's how we're going to, if that's the ball we're using, that's the baseball we're using. Uh, though I still say that, uh, I don't see as many bats break as they used to. 
you know, you could get like a Harley Davidson uh, ad campaign going for you if you're going to the plate with with a motorcycle helmet on. You can make some good loot off of that. Yeah, maybe some guys ought to, you know, Harley ought to get into the uh, the the uh, armor wear for uh, baseball players, and they can have that uh, Harley Davidson logo uh, around Major League Baseball, kind of like uh, I think Evo Shield is probably one of the better uh, the protection gear that the guys wear. I would I would go with like the old school Evil Knievel. Hey, I loved Evil Knievel. I I tried to be Evil Knievel when I was a kid on my big wheel. wasn't wasn't too pretty, but uh, that's what I tried. Emo, we miss seeing you, buddy. We really do. And hopefully, um, now that we're all getting vaccinated, hopefully we'll be able to get our show back on the field the way it used to be. But uh, be well and be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Uh, okay, great. Thanks for talking to you guys. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.